what's easier to see down here or up there what would we prefer you're a bit more spread out this time oh no let's 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 spit on sarah shall we (laughs) let's do that now if you um missed the notes last week or if you look at michael he's ready to go pages open so keen um feel free to except this week i didn't bring the stapler so they're not stapled so my apologies you might need to do that when you head home oh no i'm doing the breathing into the microphone they are the same as last time yes So yes, because I did it all in one hit rather than week by week. I just thought then that way if people come for one week, they've got all of it. Um, Also, I did have somebody come up to me afterwards and say, this is really intimidating. And I'm like, no, just don't use them if you don't like. It's fine. It's just an extra bit of paper for you to take home or a fire lighter if it's it's the way you roll. Um, Use it to doodle. You're only answering one question per week. (laughs) Well, as long as you select the ones that are helpful and not the ones that are easy, then we'll be right. Um, So, yeah, so feel free to use them in a way that is helpful. Don't feel that you have to take notes or whatever. Um, I take notes because otherwise my mind wanders something chronic. Um, So, yeah, so this is something that helps me, but it may not help you. So just use it as it makes sense for you to use it. That's what they're for. Um, So yeah, thank you, music team, especially the Argents who are here week in, week out. And thank you to Judah who comes early every week and spends time just waiting, just waiting for everybody to get here. Quality iPad time, right, bub? <laughs> so yeah, thanks to the Argents who who make up most of our music team. You may have noticed, and it was so nice to see Sarah out from behind the piano and singing. It was less less piano man and Elton Johnny and because <laughs> yeah, out centre stage. It was nice. Okie dokie. Well, I'm going to pray before we start, and then we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you so much for your word that you have given to us that you um, are the word, that as John says, you are the word, that you entered into the world um, and that we can see you and know you and learn from you and imitate you. We thank you that we have the scriptures to read and interpret and understand, that you, God, have chosen to reveal yourself to us in this way, in a way that we can understand. They're in our language. Um, You give us your Holy Spirit to interpret them, which is indescribably good. We ask your Spirit today to help switch the light on so that we can understand and apply what we learn today, that we can see Jesus in what we read and hear and we thank you that you go with us as we do that and as we seek to make changes or change our thinking or change our behaviour, that you inspire those things and you enable those things and we look forward to you doing those things in us in the times to come. Amen. 
Righto. So, last week, I want to do a bit of a recap. You've got notes, so you can cheat very easily. Uh, do you remember what our P word for last week was? Pattern? I heard pattern. Nice one. I'm trusting that was your memory. So we looked at the pattern of the kingdom. So we started with looking at the Bible as one book. So it does contain 66 books um, written across 1,500 to 2,000 years, depending on who you read, from all different walks of life in all sorts of life situations in three different languages um, with um, yeah, 40 different human authors um, and uh, written in peacetime, written in wartime, written in celebration, written in commiseration, uh, written from the point of view of ordinary people, written by kings, written by prisoners, um, and all sorts of different genres as well. So we've got um, letters and prophetic books and histories and poetry and song um, and, uh, yeah, all sorts of stuff. And so it requires all sorts of different types of interpretation depending on what you're reading. But in amongst all of that, the thing that's really important to remember that it is actually one book that is one divine author who inspired each person he, um, he called upon to write. Um, and, and he does claim, he says, this is my scripture, it is God-breathed, and he endorses it as his word to us so that we know that we can trust it. Um, because he wouldn't make something available to us and endorse it if he then was going to say, oh, actually, forget that bit. <laughs> he was having an off day that day and he wasn't listening to me very well. So, um, yeah, make sure you just read the rest of it. That's fine. But he has said, nah, steal, seal of approval. If you want to know who I am, if you want to know what life should be like, if you want to know how to follow me, um, read this book. Um, I endorse everything in it. So we've got one divine author, one subject, Jesus and his role in um, bringing salvation to the world. So God's plan to save the world through Jesus, um, the plan A that's been in place since the beginning of time. And there's one story, the way that Jesus does that. So Jesus Christ is the one subject, the one story is the fulfilment of that um, plan A that Jesus is coming and has come uh, to save the world through himself. So we've got that going on and we've looked at the pattern of the kingdom. So we've seen that um, the kingdom of God that we are looking forward to, longing for, that tapping is annoying. How am I going to make it stop? Uh, the pattern of the kingdom that shows that we are um, assessing that on the basis of God's people. Does anybody remember the next bit? You can look at the notes. God's people in God's place, yes? Yep, under God's rule and blessing. Lovely. I'm glad we can read. <laughs> so we are going to be tracking God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing all the way through. Um, and so we saw last week that God's people were Adam and Eve, that they were in the Garden of Eden, which was God's special place set aside for them. And they were under God's perfect rule and blessing. They had perfect relationship with him, with each other, and with the rest of creation. And work was easy. The toil was great. They, had, they were 
ashamed of being around each other and being naked and they had easy access to the Father. He was with them all the time. Um, They could speak to him and he could speak to them whenever they wanted. There was no reason to hide. And that's lovely. It's so great, but unfortunately it lasted a whole two chapters. Um, And it's the same story twice. (laughs) So it's, it's not even two chapters, it's really just one from two different directions. So it didn't last long before suddenly a new character entered the scene. Can you guess who that is? <laughs> and then June right at the end, the snake. Lovely. I'm going to blame the face masks for the lack of being able to hear clearly. <laughs> um, so, yes, so we've got this serpent that enters the garden in the person, well, Satan enters the garden in the person of the serpent. So, the first question, because we know, we know that that's not where it stayed. So, we know that it all went wrong at some point, and so Satan comes onto the scene. Here he is, new character. And the question that immediately comes up is, if God's created this perfect world, and he's put perfect people in it, and he's made it all perfect and lovely and set the pattern for what we're trying to get back to. Where did this evil come from? It suddenly just appears. Now, the first thing that we need to remember is that what we've seen so far and what we know subsequently is that God is sovereign. He has control over all things. He is entirely holy. There is no sin in him, and there is not, it's not possible for there to be any sin in him. And he's entirely loving as well. So what we can know from that is his sovereignty means that nothing takes him by surprise. His holiness means that he is not responsible for evil. And his loving nature means that he is entirely loving of his people. He's not going to deliberately test them by putting an evil character in their midst. What we have seen is that Not just when creation was created, was it earthly, that there was just the humans and the animals and the plants and the earth as we know it, but also the heavenly realms. They're mentioned in the Genesis creation. The stars and the moon and um, the galaxies and the universes, but the heavenly world and the angelic world as well. Um, So they are part of the original perfect creation and you can learn a bit more about those from 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6. And in amongst that, we know that there was a rebellion in the angelic world. So just like humans rebelled against um, God on the earthly world, there was a heavenly rebellion as well. And Satan, who was one of Jesus's, sorry, not Jesus, God's, but yes, Jesus included in that Godhead, um, one of God's sort of, perfect angels, he decided that he wanted the power of God as well. And so there was this battle. And the rebellion happened and Jesus and God cast Satan out of, out of the angelic realm and he started nitpicking at humanity to try and continually undermine this power of God's. So he was originally part of the original perfect creation, uh, but he fell, and then he started his insidious ways. So we start. We have these 
tactics that he uses. He enters the garden, he approaches Adam and Eve, and he starts by distorting God's word. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What he's saying there is the prohibition that has been given to you is not actually clear. Are you sure that's what he said? Is that really the clearest way he could have said it? Uh, He's planting seeds of doubt. He then questions God's word. Genesis 3-4 says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Now he's claiming that it's not actually true what God has said. So he's tried to distort it. He's tried to question it. And then he questions God's motives. Genesis 3-5 says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's not fair. God has taken knowledge from you. He's hiding an access that you think that that you should have. Um, So not only is he not clear in his instructions, he's not trustworthy in his instructions, and he's not fair in his instructions. That he's the big cosmic spoil sport. That you could have everything you ever wanted, but he's just kind of withholding that last little bit. And it's interesting that Satan has been making the same claims ever since. It's not clear, the gospel is not clear, it's not true, and it's not fair. That God is not who he says he is, that it's not even true, and there's no justice in it anyway. It's not fair. My rights are not recognised. And it's amazing how young... My son is nearly three. He's two. Nearly three. You've seen him. He often says, it doesn't matter what's happening, no fair. And I don't even know where he learned it. (laughs) I'm like, yes, it is, darling, it is fair. And Josh says to me, there is no logic with this two-year-old, so don't try and use logic. Um, I've been trying to use logic with all my children. (laughs) What a futile exercise. Um, But these claims work. They've been working ever since. Um, And we see it all around us, and we see it in ourselves as well. Can we really trust the word of God? Is Christianity really all it's cracked up to be? Is Jesus actually giving us the freedom that he claims that he is? Um, The Bible's a tricky text. It's got all these, which is true, it's got all these different interpretations. It's not clear, therefore we should just throw it all out. But these claims work, and Adam and Eve... Um, eat from the fruit that they've eat from the tree, eat the fruit from the tree that they've been told not to eat from. It is a massive act of rebellion. Um, it's their, um, it's their um, exercise in autonomy that goes very, very wrong. So we have this act of rebellion. Um, but what's so wrong with knowing the difference between good and evil? Why, why is that actually such a big deal? Uh, The way we interpret it is that knowing the difference between good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, is actually equal to the deciding of what's right and wrong. So instead of letting God decide what's right and wrong and tell them and know that it's good, his decision, they don't want to just 
have the option to break the law. They want the option to make the law. So they're on about law breaking, not just law breaking, but law making. They want to be able to decide for themselves what's right and wrong and take God out of the picture, which is what we've been doing ever since. We want to be able to make decisions for ourselves and sometimes God comes into the picture and sometimes he doesn't and it's just the way we're wired now. It's a usurping of God's authority and establishing of our independence, which is the nature of sin ever since. And the consequences of that are totally disastrous and we are living in the outworking of that even today. So we've got broken relationships that come as a result. Man and woman, their relationship is broken. They um, make coverings to hide their nakedness. Genesis 3.7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Like This is husband and wife. They're the only two human beings on the planet. That's normally an excuse for a husband and wife to not care about what they're wearing if things are good between the two of them. But they sew fig leaves together to cover their nakedness and their shame. Uh, they enter into shame and squabbling. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That relationship dynamic will be shifted so that it's not equal. They will seek to jockey for position. Um, your desire will be for your husband to the wife and he will rule over you. So instead of it being a loving, equal partnership, it will be distorted. Human beings and creation, the relationship is broken. We see in the curse that God gives through um, in Genesis 3.17. Uh, do I have that one separately? No. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat food from it. So the work that had been easy in the garden now was going to be immensely hard. Now the thing that Vaughan doesn't recognise in this and I think is a bit lacking, I love you Vaughan, um, is that he talks about these broken relationships between human beings and creation. And he talks about the male Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you eat food from it. But the other thing he talks about is that he curses women in childbirth as well. And he says that through pain, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. That is a total reversal of the command that he gave at the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply in number and work the ground and subdue it. And so the things, the two things that we were designed to do are now the two hardest things that God has given us to do. So he has cursed the ground and made work hard, and he has cursed childbirth. Now, for many of us, we have worked through a long work life or an up-and-down work life, especially at the moment with things with COVID regulations, with some people really struggling to find work or to keep work, um, to, um, to do work in a way that is as easy and natural as it used to be, um, with Zoom and face masks and all these things that make things hard, as well as just the mental load and the, 
the outrageous kind of expectation of how many fingers in every pie should you have. And um, not only are you meant to uh, work and contribute 100% to your work, but you're also supposed to come home and give 100% to your family. You're supposed to bear each other's burdens in that and you are expected to also volunteer your time and have hobbies and have other commitments and see friends and do all the things. And they are exhausting. And then we hear over and over again about women who struggle with fertility, with miscarriage, with uh, all sorts of chronic conditions that go along with just having a cycle, with the mood swings and all that kind of stuff. And it's just the older I get and the more I see it, the more I'm like, man, this stuff is hard. And it lasts for most of our lives. And these curses are real. And we live under them all the time. But they, the thing, part of what makes them so hard is because in our very design from the beginning of time, we were told to be fruitful, increase in number, and subdue creation and work with it. And so we're trying to do the things that we're designed to do, but we're getting hit at every turn with stuff that's just hard. And so that's real, and it's worth recognising that these things exist, and they're not God's intention, and it's what Jesus has come to deal with. Um, but it's why we often feel so strongly about work and mental health and all that kind of stuff, and then also fertility and mental health and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it, and parenting in general, you know, just working, parenting, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just hard. So that is part of the curse that we're living through between human beings and creation and relationships with each other, that constant jockeying for position and the no longer equal, and also just this, this promise that has been given to us and this design that's been given to us that is hard to work through. But then, worst of all, we've got the broken relationship between God and human beings. Uh, so 3.23, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So, we're sent out of the garden. Adam and Eve turned in rebellion to God and he turns in judgment on them. And so, from now on, we see, especially because the way he tried to approach them was saying, hello, where are you? And they're hiding and covered in their fig leaves. And this eternal search then since has been, he seeks us, but we run from him. We find all the ways. So just to... Sorry, I just licked the microphone. Good thing I'll be using it. And <laughs> making music on Wednesday and it won't be Danny. <laughs> It's just my germs. <laughs> it's weird not actually being like, sparkle day. It's a um, <laughs> um, yes, so we've got, um, he seeks us, but we run from him. And so this death threat is carried out and the, uh, a guard is placed to prevent access to the tree of life. So he says, you cannot have this knowledge that you have and still have access to the tree of life. It doesn't work that way. Um, and, and actually, to be honest, it's a great kindness. Because could you imagine living this life eternally? 
fear would be hard yards. Being confronted with our own sin, with the brokenness of the world around us, with just the day-to-day, like I said, the struggle of knowing what we're designed for and not having it come easily. Man, it's a gift to us that we do not have access to eternal life in this state. So a guard is placed to prevent access to the tree of life. And Adam and Eve are thrust out into the desert, physically alive, but spiritually dead, cut off from God. And it's purely a matter of time before their physical uh, existence also ends. So it sounds really sad, and it is really hard. But it doesn't stop there, unfortunately. So Genesis 4 to 11 then shows us the spread of sin and death that continues. So in Genesis 4, we've got the very first generation. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They're two children. One one murders the other. Not marries the other. (laughs) One murders the other. The first generation. One murders the other. We've got Genesis 5, a genealogy that just says over and over again, this person was born and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. And it's like the tolling of a bell. It's just this constant repetition, and then he died, and then he died. So we've got this image of God. They're born, they're fruitful, they're increasing in number, but then he died. And that image of God and the sin is passed down. And then in Genesis 6 to 9, we have the flood. And aside from the part where Jesus dies, I think these are the most heartbreaking words to read in the scriptures. This is Genesis 6, uh, verses 5 to 7. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Five chapters earlier, he had said, it's very good. And only in Genesis 6 does he say, I regret that I have made this because every inclination of the human heart is only evil all the time. What a condemnation. So then we have the flood where he sort of starts again Eddie Izzard refers to it as the etch-a-sketch end of the world. It's a bit of a shake-up and you start from the, the new... <laughs> There's a generation that knows what an etch-a-sketch is. Um, <laughs> maybe not. It's the... Sh- sh- yeah, but you can shake them. Yeah. I'm talking to the generation. I'm talk- it's, this is a throwback to work. <laughs> Where they're like, what? Um And then we get to the Tower of Babel. So he starts again, and Moses starts well. Not Moses, Noah. (laughs) 
This is good. It's like the blind leading the blind. I don't know who the characters are. No, Noah. Noah builds the boat. The animals pile in. His family comes in. He makes the sacrifice when the world is sort of dried out again and God puts the rainbow in the sky to promise that he's never ever going to end the world with a flood which feels like a caveat to me <laughs> but he says he's never going to destroy the world again with a flood and puts the rainbow in the sky to remind us that he's, he's made that promise but again very quickly afterwards things go very very wrong and we get to Genesis chapter 11 and we've got the Tower of Babel and the people say to each other in Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Because it's not about making a name for God. It's about making a name for themselves. They want to be known throughout the world. They want to build their own tower to the heavens. They want to get there in their own strength. And the great irony is that they try to do that so that they won't be scattered over the whole earth. And yet that's exactly what God does. They build their tower and God scatters them and gives them different languages so that they can no longer communicate to coordinate to do something like that again. And so the unity that we are encouraged to all the time is totally undermined by the Tower of Babel and is totally destroyed by God. So the tower is destroyed, the unity of humanity is destroyed, and they're scattered across the earth with different languages so that they can no longer communicate. So the Tower of Babel is a vivid symbol of our desire to exalt ourselves. And it's a point where we've had throughout Genesis 1 to 11, we've had sort of creation, fall, resolution, creation, or not creation, recreation, fall, resolution. So we had Adam and Eve in the garden, they sinned, God kicked them out, but removed access to the tree. We have Cain and Abel, where Cain murders Abel. And then, so we have this dark point, and then God ejects Cain, but gives him the mark of Cain to protect him as he goes. There's always this light that God gives that says, I'm not abandoned you yet. He then sees only evil all the time, which includes Noah and his family. The, the only inclination of every human heart all the time is evil. That includes Noah. So he wasn't perfect either. He was just chosen. So Noah then builds the boat. He wipes out the whole, God wipes out the whole of the earth. And Noah is saved and his, his family continues on. But then they fall and Babel is created. And so we're waiting for this resolution. Now part of that comes in Genesis chapter 12, which we will talk about next week with Abraham, but the rest of it actually comes at Pentecost, thousands of years later. So there's this sense of waiting, of knowing that things are not right, but God will do what he does. But we've got to wait a really long time. Like I said, it comes at Pentecost. And when we get to Pentecost in the section, the Acts book, I'll talk more about it. Um, but it's that long drawn out process of just waiting and longing and knowing that things aren't right but not knowing what to do about it. 
But then, so when we look at this, um, the kingdom of God and where we're up to in our God's people, in God's place, under God's rule and blessing, we had Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in perfect relationship with God, each other and creation. And now, now that we're in the perished kingdom, and some of the P words are a bit of a stretch, um, but they are all P words, and so and Vaughan acknowledges that. <laughs> so some of them aren't ideal. But we're now in the perished kingdom. And when we see God's people, there's no one. At the end of the Tower of Babel, there is no one. They've all been scattered. There is no one that's been raised up or been set apart or it's just no one. God's place, they've been banished from Eden and they've been scattered across the four corners of the globe. God's rule and blessing, disobedience and curse. And that's what they're living under. Now what a horrible place to leave it. <laughs> and that's where we're going to leave it. <laughs> um, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes it's just the way the clam slams. And if that um, makes you sad, then think about the disciples waiting for whatever was going to happen after Jesus died. They had three days before they had any kind of resolution. We know what comes next. So not maybe not in the next chapter. We might know that, but we certainly know that Jesus comes and so we can live in that reassurance. But, um, but I, I do want us to sit there and just kind of go, this is the reality of what life has been like for people. Because with Babel, I can't remember. I'll have to have a look. I don't know if it's in my notes. I can't remember how long there is between Babel and Abraham. I'd have to have a look. But that's a long time of waiting, of being scattered, of not knowing whether God even is going to turn his face back to them again, whether he's going to do anything to resolve their situation. It's a long time. So I think we can cope with a week especially when we know how the story ends or continues, as it were. So I'm going to pray. Um, and as I said, um, you know, feel free to do, if, you, if you're an off week for Bible study, feel free to do that Bible study on your own if you'd like. Um, we are going to get better. The next, next week is the promised kingdom, which is a spot on because it's exactly what happens. There is a promise. Um, so that P is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, so the promised kingdom is next week, so it's something to look forward to. Um, yeah. All righty, I'm going to pray. Lord God, we confess that we sometimes sadly and sometimes gleefully enter into the sin of taking you out of the picture, of deciding that we know best for ourselves. And in some ways, in a lot of ways, in fact, in pretty much all the ways, we are just like Adam and Eve, wanting to make decisions for ourselves, forgetting who you are. And certainly some days every inclination of our hearts is only evil all the time. We thank you that there are light points throughout these chapters, that there are points of your intervention, of your kindness, 
protecting Cain, prohibiting access to the tree of life, rescuing Noah and his family and all the creatures. And we thank you that there are many, many more high points in the scriptures that follow, that we are constantly reminded of who you are and what you do to ensure that your people continue. And we thank you that you have made yourself known to us through your word, through your son and through your spirit. That we may know and understand. That we may stand firm, knowing that the same condemnation, whilst we live in its repercussions, are not held against us on the day of reckoning. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you paid for every time we disobeyed, every time we sinned, and continue to, that you will continue to do that for our whole lives and the lives of all those who are to come and all those who have come before us. What a cost. We thank you that we stand in the knowledge that that price has been paid and we can approach you knowing your goodness and your holiness and your justice and resting in them. We look forward to the day where we rest with you for all eternity. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.